You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Hello, and thanks for joining our weekly podcast. Well, as usual, we can't keep energy off the front pages. We've had more from the Finkel Review reaction, and we've had more announcements of energy price rises. And we've even had a suggestion that we should be building new baseload coal-fired power stations because that's the only solution for energy security into the future. So um, it's hard to tell whether things are moving forwards or backwards or which way. David Leach, ITK analyst, joining us as usual. How are you? Uh, Very well, thanks, Giles. Hello to all our listeners and hello to our special guest today. Yes, I was just about to come to that. Um, We are joined today and delighted to have him, John Titchen from Goldwind Australia. John? Hi, Giles. Hi, David. Uh, Good to join you. Look, it's fantastic you're here. Um, And um, one of the great things about um, you being here is that Goldwind seems to be at the forefront of just about everything that's very exciting going on. You are building the largest wind farm in Australia, Stockyard Hill, at what we understand is to be a record low price. You're building White Rock Wind Farm in New South Wales, which we understand is the biggest to go merchant, and we'll probably get into the details of that later on. And you're also building a couple of little solar farms next to some existing wind farms, which is also an interesting development. And we'll go right through each one of these. But um, first, I just thought I'd get a bit of a reaction from you from what you made of the Finkel review and also what you made of the reaction to it. Yes, the Finkel review we see is a very important um step for the Australian energy sector. Uh, the the drivers for this review in terms of um, making sure we've got energy security, uh, increasing uh, the competitiveness of energy, reducing costs to consumers uh, and uh, reducing carbon emissions in line with our international obligations, we think this is really the set of objectives that are appropriate. and. Um. They're not uh, particularly easy, uh, and uh, we we really see that it's um, important to find probably a fairly complex suite of solutions to to meet these needs. Um, So we're we're very supportive of the initiative, um, and it looks like the work that's been done by Dr Finkel and his team is pretty comprehensive. It's going to be very important that... um, this next phase uh, is is taken with care to make sure mm. that uh, the measures really work and, and achieve these objectives. But um, can we you, just if ask you, though, if are you happy with the mechanism, the idea of a mechanism though of a clean energy target? Will, will that work for you? We, we think that it's um, ongoing growth in uh, the uh, renewable sector post twenty twenty is really inevitable and. Uh, it's 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 going to be important to have the right policy arrangements uh, to drive that, and uh, the uh, C, CET is uh, a mechanism that will provide uh, incentives for um, lower emission technologies. The details of it, though, need to be carefully worked through to make sure mm. that it does meet the, uh, the the set of objectives. So some sometimes uh, you can have a, a broad level concept, but uh, the details really need to be worked out to make sure it works. 
Yeah, I'm just going to ask one more question before maybe throwing over to David. The one thing that seems to be a bit controversial from a renewable energy point of view is this issue of storage. Now, everyone mm. understands that storage is coming and mm. it's probably needed and it'll be grown. Mm. The thing about the Finkel review seems to be that it's talking about each individual wind and solar farm being required to deliver a certain amount of storage. It did allow some discretion for AEMO to make decisions or that are where it's needed because certainly it seems to me that um, you... It seems like overkill to to require every single sol wind and solar farm to to do so, um, and and but that idea seems to have been taken up with gusto and enthusiasm by 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 some um, in the industry. What do you make of that? Do you think that's um, I mean, obviously storage is a really good idea. We do need security, but do you think the idea of in each individual wind and solar farm would be too much? I think we've got to be pretty careful in how we manage the power system going forward. And really, we're looking at making sure that um, the system is reliable every minute of every day. Um, there, there is some level of um, chance that uh, power won't be available. Uh, that level that's acceptable to the community needs to be quite low. Um, so whether it's storage or dispatchable generation, um, we really need to have a system that's effective and, and, and operates well to meet the needs of the community. Um, I see that energy storage will certainly be a strengthening uh, sector going forward. Um, some of the conventional energy storage in terms of hydro um, is you know, very well proven and uh, can make a very significant contribution. With hydro, you're not talking about hours of storage, you're talking about days or months of storage. Uh, in terms of uh, other plant in the system, we've got a mix of um, you know, what we call base load, but it's re relatively inflexible uh, coal plant that's in the system and uh, is you know, generally ageing. We tend to have more flexible uh, gas plant that can ramp up and down more readily and uh, meet peaks and fill gaps um, when other generation is not available. Uh, battery storage, uh, we'd see is having an increasing role, but um, exactly how much of a role it can take uh, in each year going forward, uh, I think um, will really be determined by the market. What we need to make sure is that there's always enough. Mm. And uh, uh, I don't think that's a, a general, every wind farm and every solar plant um, results in a need for more um, batteries or peaking plant or dispatchable generation, the, the different regions in the country have got different levels of need and uh, we've seen a much greater level of uh, renewable penetration in um, South Australia and so the need is probably clearer and, uh, mm. and you can analyse how much is needed to, to make sure that we improve the reliability of the system there. And I think that both the well, state government and the federal government have identified that you know there's, there's a need there. But uh, if we're in one of the largest states, uh, New South Wales, for example, um, we, we, we haven't had the withdrawal of as much um, plant, uh, it, it's harder to see that you know, there's, there's the same need if you add a solar or wind project mm. uh, to, to add capacity. So it really needs to be studied on a regional basis. And uh, I think the potential for AEMO to assess that is probably the right way to go. It is a bit of a you know, country, region by region assessment of, of what we really need to, to maintain security. Mm, fair enough. 
David, can I bring you in here? Um, just going back to what I introduced at the start was this idea about a coal-fired generator being built in Australia and um, ha having an auction. And um, maybe we can throw this back to John too about prices. But I mean, do you see any chance at all of something being configured in a way that would possibly deliver a, an auction that would actually produce a solution that says coal-fired power generation? Uh, look, I think you can uh, design an auction to produce any result you want if if you uh, firm, if you're a dictator in the system. Uh, uh, I think it's a wonderful situation where the Minerals Council can walk in and have a, a secret briefing, as reported in the Australian, <laughs> the next day uh, with the Prime Minister, and then he can, he can come out and announce that as policy the next day. I mean, I, you know, why have the Prime Minister at all? Why not just have the Minerals Council announce policy all by themselves? Oh, look, I'm, I'm joking slightly. Uh, but uh, that's sometimes the way it, way it feels. I'd like to come back and ask John in this short space of time that we've got him a, a couple of questions about wind. I think uh, gold wind has probably got something once uh, Cattle Hill and Stockyard Hill are built of like a gigawatt of wind in Australia in a, in a, in a variety of different states, which will pretty much make you guys the biggest uh, wind owner. And you've got more projects uh, on the block. I'd particularly like to ask John a little bit about Stockyard Hill. I mean, that really uh, shook me in the in the price that you were uh, you were prepared to take a PPA. I think, and I'd, I understand you guys weren't the only people competing for that PPA. What what has enabled wind uh, prices for PPAs to come down so much? I mean, it was only a year ago we were talking about seventy five, eighty five dollars a megawatt hour. And now we're, we're, we're sub-60. Could you maybe just talk a little bit about how, how you're able to make a return at that price? Yeah, sure, David. Um, the Stockyard Hill project is, is a very large project and uh, it's the largest in Australia and I think the largest in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, it's a, a, a project with a very solid counterparty in Origin. So Origin Energy, you know, a, a great company to be working with on this project and um, the the nature of the power purchase agreement being with Origin is certainly something that's an advantage. The scale in in two ways is, is, is an advantage in terms of the size of the project, number of turbines, 149 turbines, and also the size of the turbines. Um, both those factors um, assist with the competitiveness of the project, and also uh, the wind conditions and uh, and and how they match up with uh, with our turbines and and getting uh, good performance out, out of the turbines. Our turbines are um, a permanent magnet direct drive machine. Uh, they don't have a gearbox. They're advanced technology, and uh, we're using the 3S turbine, which is in the three megawatt range. That's um, an advanced technology turbine. Suits this site very well. So I'd say it's a collection of a number of factors uh, that, that that make this a particularly um, competitive uh, uh, project, and we've done our best to. Um, supply a, uh, a good result for, for Origin. Uh, th th they have owned this project and they were looking for um, parties to uh, work out a way to give them the most competitive supply of energy from it. We're, we're very pleased to have had the opportunity and to be selected. So, so will the capa capacity factor be uh, over 40% on, on the modelling? We'd expect the capacity factor to exceed 40%, yes. That's, that's pretty good. And uh, the direct drive, as you mentioned, no gearbox. So I guess operations and maintenance costs have always been, you know, like $20 a megawatt hour if you look at Infogen. 
as numbers. Um, do you see that the your turbines and gold wind skills, are, you know, enable those costs to be falling as well? Certainly with less components in the turbine, less mechanical components, no gearbox, that's, that's, that's definitely an advantage. Um, having a, a large number of turbines also means that you can gain significant efficiencies, whether it's in um, uh, the infrastructure that you're building or the maintenance crew that you've got on site. So this is... Uh, you know, it all works together really in harmony to give a, a really good result. So scale does provide significant benefits and uh, maybe this is a theme for Australia. We, d we do tend to have larger projects in Australia than in many jurisdictions. So and, it's and, and, a competitive and, and, advantage. Absolutely. And uh, going on from that, you've also got, is it the Mirabal, or if I pronounced that right? That's correct, Mirabal. So that's uh, uh, west of uh, west of Melbourne. Um, that project is a project that we've been uh, uh, working on over recent years and uh, was uh, developed by uh, the, the West Wind team. Uh, we're preparing that for construction and it has uh, over 100 turbines that uh, are approved uh, for, for construction there. Uh, it will be using a similar turbine and you can imagine that having uh, a large fleet in uh, a, a similar area of Victoria uh, enables us to um, benefit from um, efficiencies as well. So I think that's 300 megawatts. And, and Giles, I'm just going to keep going for one second. I also wanted to ask uh, about transmission, John, uh, because it seems to me that increasingly with the wind in New South Wales and even in northern New South Wales and in western Victoria, uh, there are some do you see transmission as, as potentially being a, a bottleneck? And then secondly, I wanted to ask, we, we're coming down the learning curve, but we've also seen when lots of projects get built that skills prices get, get bid up and sometimes project costs can go up as well as down. I just wondered how you were seeing those two issues. Yeah. So in terms of the grid, um, it, it's very important to start with grid connection work as soon as you can. And uh, in, in the case of all these projects we're involved with, that they're all at a very advanced stage on grid connection. Uh, there is some increase in um, AMO requirements, looking at um, grid connections as a result of you know their work over the last year on you know the difficulties in the power system. Uh, we've got heightened heightened uh, studies, but um, it's all practical to work through. Uh, it, it does take time. Um, in terms of the use of the of the system, there, there are projects where there will be multiple projects on one part of the grid, and and that becomes difficult and uh, lends itself towards grid augmentation. Uh, I'd certainly hope that um, some of the initiatives in the Finkel uh, review about opening up new areas for. Uh, wind and solar resources uh, are taken up, uh, a bit of a strategic approach so that uh, we're just not looking at what exists now but planning for grid augmentation so that um, more resources can be available in the future, uh, whether that's um, remote parts of a, a state like Queensland or um, an interconnection to Tasmania or a connection between um, South Australia and Victoria or New South Wales, uh, I think these are important things to look at and if we can have a national approach to where those pieces of infrastructure should be developed, I think that would really help with the efficiency of the delivery of, um, of these targets and, uh, and the transition. 
Um, so that, that's that's um, a, a view on the um, on the transmission. Sorry, David, what was your second point? Uh, the second question was just about emerging cost pressures with something like two gigawatts of solar and yeah. uh, you know going on and, and more wind. To, I think two gigawatts of wind and more being announced. I'm just mm. wondering whether skilled labour costs are going to get bid up. Yeah, yeah. So it, it is certainly um, a, a very active time for the renewable sector in Australia. Uh, and uh, we've got a lot of work to do over the next few years uh, to meet the 2020 target. It's all on track, but lots of work underway. And uh, we haven't really seen that the result of that is an increasing in cost. We've probably seen more an increase in interest uh, and uh, people moving from organisations and individuals moving from other sectors into the renewable sector because it represents growth and, and jobs. Um, this has really encouraged us that the more we're doing, the more parties there are that are interested and uh, the more competition there is to deliver these projects competitively. So we, we see comp competition from you know, equipment suppliers, from developers, uh, from investors, Every, every part of, um, the, of the value chain and, and that means that we can deliver the renewable target um, at, at least cost for the community. So John, I'm, I'm just um, curiosity is getting the better of me. Um, just going back to Stockyard, just Stockyard Hill very briefly before we move on to some of the other projects. Um, it was described as the lowest cost um, PPA in Australia. I think the official press release said lower than 60 and we understood it was closer to 50 than 60 and I saw in the Fin Review it might have been as low as 52. Can you help us out there at all? Uh, as we said in our press release, it's lower than 60. Oh, fair enough. The other thing was um, a lot of people were surprised by that. And do we see that with au auctions overseas and particularly some of those solar auctions in the US and the Middle East? And they say, well, oh, we can never do that again. And then lo and behold, a year later, they're, they're half the price again. Are you confident that um, the – well, I guess my question is, is this a once-off because of the nature of this project or will costs continue to come down? Well, certainly we, we see learning curves on uh, equipment continue. Uh, as, as just mentioned, you know, if you get supply constraints, some, some deviation from that can occur, but once those constraints are relieved, then you get back onto that learning curve. Um, so we've, we've seen that both with uh, wind and even more aggressively uh, with solar. I, I I think the theory on learning curves just tells you that that'll continue. Um, and and, and where, do you, where do you see solar now? Do you reckon solar's about level with wind? I mean, I guess it probably depends on the area, but you're, you're building two solar projects now. What, um, hmm. t tell us about the two different um, profiles and the costs. Yeah. yeah. Well, we see there's a bit of a separation really in the market for solar and wind. If Conceptually, you can imagine that the wind's uh, blowing all times of the day Sometimes it will be blowing at night, sometimes during the day, and it, it, it's quite um, uh, spread across the 24 hours of the day, uh, different seasons, uh, different locations in, in the grid. Whereas solar, if you're looking uh, north-south in the, in the country, um, we'll tend to have the solar peaking at a similar time. So there's a lot more coincidence in the solar production, and uh, we'd, we'd see that uh, that that will have the effect of some separation, I guess, in in terms of what mm. the what the market value is for um, solar and wind. Um, in, in, what about in, the costs? 
Well, the, the, the costs continue, continue to progress. Um, exactly how they compare really depends on the sites. So, you know, mm. Queensland, we'd expect to have, you know, most competitive solar. Um, you know, the southern states, probably most competitive uh, wind. Uh, and uh, I, I'd, I'd just expect that we'll see both solar and wind in all states and exactly the percentage proportions it's a bit hard to predict and uh, we'll do our best to um, deliver um, uh, the wind and as you've seen we've been pretty keen to deliver the solar where we felt there was a synergy with the wind farms uh, sharing the infrastructure um, in some cases complementing uh, the production profile so at White Rock we've found that uh, the wind is a bit more biased towards night time and we've got a constrained connection uh, so the two work pretty well together um, at Gullen Range, where we've um, just about to commission our first solar project, uh, the um, wind and the solar are more coincident, uh, and in that case, we've got an unconstrained grid connection. So, uh, different mm, reasons well. for the fit together in these different cases. Uh, we're very pleased with the support of Arena to uh, pilot mm. this um, wind solar. Uh, project at uh, at Gullen, and then uh, we were very pleased to have been uh, selected under the large scale solar round at White Rock. So seems like a, a a good theme to share this infrastructure. And if we came back to uh, your latest announcement, was in Cattle Hill in Tasmania, and I know you have a background at working at Hydro Tassie. Um, I, I guess what's the we know Tasmania's got a lot of potential, not just in wind but also in in hydro. And what do you think about the case for for really expanding? Uh, the connection to Tasmania, I guess, and, and making that kind of like a, a hub of the, the, the renewable energy industry in Australia. I, I have spent many years in Tasmania and uh, uh, originally moved to Tasmania to look at uh, wind power in the hydro system many years ago, maybe a little bit earlier than it was possible. Uh, I think we should be looking at how much contribution Tasmania can make and uh, the the two main elements. One is uh, Tasmania is about ten percent short of self sufficiency with respect to hydro and wind. Uh, Cattle Hill will close that gap a bit, and uh, there still will be a gap in terms of renewable self sufficiency. Uh, there are other sources, so the the Tamar Valley Gas and uh, uh, the interconnector Basslink. Um, so the sources of supply are available, uh, but self-sufficiency with the uh, recent uh, Basslink interruption, I think, is, is a good theme, maybe exceeding self-sufficiency, so it's very robust. And then the second uh, theme I would, I would raise is as large old coal plant are withdrawn from the market in Victoria, we're going to need to look at... Um, at what's the plant that's going to replace that dispatchable requirement and uh, the potential for an increase in the peaking capacity of uh, the hydro TAS assets um, delivered via an increased uh, interconnector I think is something that should really be um, pursued with vigour for, for a contribution that Tasmania can make to help manage this transition to a lower carbon economy. And, and, and post Mirable, is that the end for the time being for Goldwyn? I mean, that's 1.3 gigawatts, or have you got a few more uh, uh, tricks up the sleeve? Well, th th that's, that's what um, we've you know, got to the point where we've announced uh, 
our activity and uh, Certainly, we're here for the long run. Uh, we have had quite a focus on what we can do to contribute to meeting the renewable energy target, and you know the the solidity of um, uh, of that target has been really important for the industry. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, we, we, we kicked off the White Rock uh, project as a merchant project that was just following the last RET review. Uh, we, we we had confidence that uh, we had some stability in the policy as a result, and now. Uh, many players are acting with speed uh, to contribute to the target and, 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 and we will do the same. Um, we've really got a keen interest in making sure that uh, the post-2020 uh, policy is clear and encourages growth of renewables. Um, this is uh, a key to our um, reduced emissions uh, for, for Australia and uh, meeting international obligations. So we'd see ongoing growth post-2020 and we'll be um, looking to contribute uh, on an ongoing basis. So John, um, do you th you're talking about Hydro Tasmania there, just sort of briefly, do you think there'd be room for Hydro Tasmania and Snowy 2.0 or is that um, going to be too much? We're in a period of significant transition um, and when you talk about gigawatts of, um, of coal plant uh, being closed, you know, Hazelwood well over a gigawatt, you need big, large-scale solutions in terms of uh, um, peak meeting capacity, and mm. uh, so I, th I really think that the hydros have uh, great potential. I, 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 I'm less well informed about the snowy assets uh, than the hydro TAS assets, and so that's why I really refer to um, to, to those opportunities to more, more okay. based on my knowledge. Yeah, sure. And, and and White Rock Wind Farm. Um, where are you up to on that? And um, what what's the outlook for Merchant? Because yeah, you you haven't you haven't locked into a contract, and that was a um, that was a big move by you guys to go uh, Merchant. Um, someone with only something that someone with with deep pockets can do. Um, are you happy with that outlook, or will you be looking to lock in at some stage? We're very pleased with the White Rock project. You know, we've um, we've got about forty of the turbines. Uh, installed at the moment. It was mm. uh, 39 at last report, but uh, I expect that we've installed a couple since then. And uh, the grid connection for the project is uh, due to be energised over the next couple of weeks. Um, it's been a very large project for the Glendinus in Varel community in the Northern mm. Tablelands, and uh, it's been great to have the, the community support for this project and the, you know be able to contribute in the way that we have engaging um, local employees and well, uh, I certainly hope you have the local member t um, turning up to open it. Um, Barney B. Joyce. My dad was a local member at one stage, and Is I grew up right? in the my, I grew up in the area, and uh, it's pretty windy and cold up there at night. So I think it's a great place to be putting some wind in, and you know, I guess you get the uh, not not very correlated wind uh, with with um, much more exposed to New South Wales prices as well. Yeah, it's it's quite different from from in the uh, the, the Range site. You know, quite different wind profile. But uh, one of the things we've noticed is uh, we're frequently finding that uh, the sites that we've been involved in have got snow at some point during the year. So they they do get uh, pretty cold and uh, certainly windy. So uh, that 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 they are interesting interesting locations and uh, great communities uh, uh, to work with in terms of the. Um, Merchant position, uh, you know, the, the renewable energy certificate prices, LGC prices, I'd say are close to where we would have expected them to be. But surely um, they're on the way down. 
sure there's um you know there's a, a period now where there's there's um you know sh shortage and and high value uh, the other factor is the um the energy um pricing in the market is 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 pretty high as well and uh the combination of those factors is um uh, a real strong incentive for everyone in the market to uh, get these projects built and uh, um, and contribute. So uh, certainly we, we um, are pleased with that and we're working with our investment partner, uh, CECEP, that's uh, China Energy uh, Conservation and Environmental Protection Business and uh, they own 75% of um, White Rock Wind Farm. So we're, we're both very pleased to be um, uh, heading towards uh, operation in the next few weeks and uh, completion before the end of the year. John, do you think about uh, selling forward? I mean, not that you're not not as a PPA, but just selling forward uh, expected output into both the physical and the REC market. I mean, do you have people that look at that on your team? We continue to look at options um, in, in in that regard. Um, so uh, we're we're always engaged with um, parties in the market, looking at what the what the choices are. Hmm. Yep. Well, look, John, um, I know the internet is supposed to be infinite and um, <laughs> and, and, and time never stops, but um, we're getting probably getting close to a um, a full a full episode. So, look, um, thanks very much for joining us today. Um, look, really enjoyed the chat and uh, fascinating to see uh, what you guys are up to. That, that's a pleasure. Thanks for thanks for inviting me along and uh, to, to share our story. And I'd uh, be pleased to catch up uh, as we go forward and uh, the interesting uh, developments over this transition. Uh, John, I'd like to add my thanks. And it, I, I recall coming to see you just uh, when only White Rock, even before White Rock, was just approved, and it was pretty tough getting things done. And uh, uh, so, uh, much stronger position today. And Goldwyn's got a huge share of the global market. And so, we'd like to wish all you guys the the very best of luck. And uh, just speaking of that, Giles, I noticed that the Lion Group seems to be trying to catch catch up with Goldwind in about a week and a half. Uh, what do you think of their prospects? Oh, look, yes. Well, that was the other big big announcement this this week, wasn't it? Um, so yes, look, Lion Group have made a habit of announcing a couple of very big projects. In fact, I think they're up to about four now. They say they've got more to come, but they haven't actually started building any. So um, I think you pointed out in you made a little comment on the website saying I'd like to see FID, which is financial close, and. Um, so would we all. Um, I'm not too sure, John. I mean, can, can you talk your way into um, financial close or do you have to? Can you do it by press release or do you actually have to sit down and do negotiations? <laughs> There's a lot of work that goes into getting these projects uh, ready for construction and constructed. And uh, yeah, it's, um, it takes quite a team. And you know, we're, we're, I think we're advantaged by having a really good group of people who've got great uh, capability and leadership. <laughs> so I think... I think uh, a lot of effort, a lot of hard yards, so Absolutely. Um, it's, Absolutely. it's not easy. Well, we don't want to cast aspersions on them, but we would like no. to see one of these um, one of these projects actually, um, you know, a, a shovel out and, and start digging. Um, David, um, what's happening next week? Look, I did see you on the 7.30 report the other day, and it was a sterling performance, a stunning, stunning interview, and I'm just wondering what you're going to be wearing to the Logies. <laughs> I was telling someone else I'll have to get some paid work, uh, Giles, so I can afford to keep showing up on TV. But I'd like to congratulate the 7.30 report. I think they're taking a much more progressive view towards it than perhaps has been evident in the past. 
in towards the situation and just facing up to the facts that we're all facing up to. As I continue to look forward to the transmission uh, report because I, I actually think transmission's an area where COAG could possibly cooperate if they really put their mind to it and even the AMC could be brought on board and AEMO and transmission's something we can all probably come to a common view on and, uh, you know, open up some new areas for all the new power plants that are going to be required. And so we can get this statistically predictable delivery of renewable energy through diversified sources and not have to rely on three coal power plants in, in Victoria, two of which get their coal from the same source and which was vulnerable to falling over as any wind, wind farm is. Hmm, indeed. Look, I'm going to leave it, on, leave it there. Um, thanks to the viewers. Thanks to John once again. Um, thanks to you, David. And we'll see you next week because we'll be back again. And I doubt very much whether energy is going to leave the front page anytime soon. So it'll be another interesting listen. So thank you very much. Thanks, Bye -bye. Charles and David. Cheers, guys.